I was, have been during that time repeatedly having my mouth washed out with soap for my little fupa two weeks ago in the first service, which I know many of you tracked down on the internet um, just to hear. I, <laughs> I go to a coffee shop, right, um, and there's a North Waker sitting there, and they say, hey, heard you cussed in church on Sunday. <laughs> what in the world? Just let it go, people. It was just a slip of the tongue, okay? Nothing, <laughs> nothing Freudian about it, all right? We're, we're past that. We're, we're moving, moving on to other things today. But um, it, it's always good to pray for your pastor, though. So let's take a moment, and, and we'll pray before we open the Word. Let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy that allows us to gather together as your, your people purchased at great cost. Not left alone, but with your spirit indwelling us, um, gathered here together with the word proclaimed in our midst. You were very good to us, and I pray today for receptive hearts. I pray you would guard and guide my words, that our hearts would be open. We'd be eager to go and do that, which you are going to prompt us by your spirit today. Give us ears to hear, and um, help us be quick to obey. We are, as Americans, flooded with daily choices. There's some interesting research on this. In 2010, the average American supermarket carried 48,750 items. That is five times more than the number of items in 1975. Um, there's a large superstore called Tesco in Great Britain. They stock 91 different shampoos, 93 varieties of toothpaste, and 115 different kinds of household cleaners. Um, Walmart and some of the other big box retailers have over 100,000 different types of consumer goods in every store. You ever, you ever wonder why you can't just pop in and out of Walmart? That's why. There's 100,000 things in there. And now they've got those talking ads at the end of the aisle, you know, Psst, hey, buddy, buy me. You, have you seen those? They drive you crazy. Um, I digress. Netflix has over 100,000 DVDs you can pick from. Amazon has over 24 million book titles. Um, lattes come in tall, short, skinny, decaf-flavored, iced, spiced, and frappe. How about that? Jeans come flared, bootlegged, skinny, cropped, straight, low-rise, bleached, rinsed, dark-washed, and distressed. Moisturizer now nourishes, lifts, smooths, revitalizes, conditions, firms, refreshes, and rejuvenates. In his book, The Paradox of Choice, researcher Barry Schwartz says we've reached a point where choice no longer liberates, it debilitates, it might even be said to tyrannize. I have good news today. Today, you only have to make one choice. Just one. I believe today that God is going to ask you for one choice, and it has the potential to liberate big time. And that is simply the choice, will you choose to obey God or not? That's the choice that's before us today. I could rephrase it. Jesus would probably say, will you choose to love me or not? Because Jesus said that, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Love and obedience in, in Jesus' thinking are inseparably intertwined. 
So that's our question. Will you choose to obey God or not? And at the close of our service today, I'm going to ask you to answer that about whatever it is that God has before you, whatever he's speaking to you about. So I, I hope you'll be attentive to that. But just to get us started, what if I ask somebody else to answer that question for you? What if I ask your spouse, if you're married, or your very best friend, I said, does so-and-so, do they choose to obey God? Can you tell by looking at their life that they honor God by their obedience? They love God by their obedience. What about that guy in the cubicle next to you at work? Or what about that girl that's got a desk a row over at school? Would they say, looking at your life, yeah, they, they choose to honor and love God by their obedience. It's evident for us to see. This question, will I choose to obey God or not, I think is the central question that is on the table in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. And Moses is pressing people with that in a really, really memorable way, a, a very visual way of doing that. And so open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy 27. We'll look at uh, it this, these two chapters this week and next week. So starting in 27, verse 1. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan... You shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them, and you shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God, and you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat them. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and you shall write on the stones all the words of this law. Very plainly. So again, we're right on the edge of entering the promised land, and if you've been attending in recent months, you know that Moses has just finished a long sermon giving them the laws that are to govern their life in the promised land. Uh, these laws of Moses from chapters 12 to 26 are to describe and shape their life while they're in there. He's done with those laws now. And so the first thing that he says, right out of the blocks, is clear. Moses and the elders command the people, saying, keep the whole commandment. Do what God has called you to do. Keep it all. That's what's before them. He's telling them, choose to obey God. Now, when they cross the Jordan enter that promised land, which they're going to do in just a couple of pages of your Bible. You just get into the early part of the next book of the Bible, and they're, they're there. They're almost in the land. He gives them two very symbolic acts that he wants them to do once they're in the land. The first one is in verses 2 to 4 of chapter 27. On that day you cross over the Jordan to the land your God has given you. You shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster, and you shall write on them all the words of this law. So what they're supposed to do is stack up what are uncut stones. Those were necessary according to the law for this to be a sacred space. 
So they would stack up these stones and they were to plaster them with plaster. If you're reading the King James this morning, it says you're supposed, they're supposed to plaster them with plaster. I guess that's a southern rendering. Plaster them with plaster or something, something like that. Um, and then uh, they're going to write on these, on this wall of sorts, this pile of stones that's been plastered over the commands of God. So you can envision this wall, this mine. Think like the Vietnam Memorial. All those names. It's something similar, only it's got the laws of God kind of written on there. This function, kind of like a billboard up on that mountain. This mountain was visible from a large portion of the land, and it had a trade route that ran right by it. People would go by that mountain, and they would remember that, that wall. And they would remember their commitment to obey the law, to keep the law. So that's the first great symbol that is going up on Mount Ebal. There's another one uh, in verse uh, 5 through 7. There you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Uh, you shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall sacrifice peace, or some of your Bibles say fellowship offerings, and shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Now, the burnt offerings, are, are they, they built this wall, right, with all the law written on it. Now they're also building an altar uh, up on that same mountain, Mount Ebal. And the altar, they're supposed to offer two different kinds of offerings. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, the burnt offerings made atonement for sin. Um, that was one of the central purposes of the burnt offerings. By means of what the, sac the sacrifices and what those sacrifices pointed towards and represented, the worshiper was cleansed of impurities and became reconciled to God. So it's a very important offering. The burnt offering which the whole animal was consumed indicated that God's holiness was satisfied and the offerer was now accepted to God. So they offered that. And then they offered this peace or a fellowship offering. And uh, the peace offering, it, it indicated that because of the burnt offering, because of the sacrifice, they'd now been restored. They had peace. They had shalom with God. They were rightly related with God. They had fellowship with God again. The celebration of being at peace with God, it was a communal meal that they would eat together then as a celebration in the presence of the Lord. And they would eat part of what they'd offered. They'd offer a sacrifice and they would in turn eat part of it, which is very unusual for the sacrifices. Usually the sacrifices were like the burnt offering. It was all burned up to the Lord. But in the peace offering, part of it would come back to the offer and they would partake of it. And one writer says this, he says, um, this sacrifice was a communal meal eaten in the presence of the Lord. It was one of the great expressions of communion with God. The worshipers would eat of the sacrifice they offered, um, which was very unusual. It's as if God was returning a portion of the sacrifice for the faithful to eat in his presence. This indicates the Lord's gracious bounty to his people and the peaceful relationship that existed within the covenant. They were celebrating peace and fellowship with God. So these two great symbols are built on Mount Ebal. And the people, every time they would ride by on that trade route, every time they'd look up from the promised land to see this mountain, that's what they would be reminded of. And it's, it's interesting that they would have this billboard of the laws, right? And you'd be sitting there reading these laws, and of course you're thinking, you're reading these laws, whether the, if all 600 of them were written there, 
or even if it was just the Ten Commandments and the blessings and the cursings or something represented, they're reading them, they're thinking, I'm in trouble, <laughs> haven't kept the law. And then they'd look off to the side of what's right there, almost as a part of it. It's an altar where sacrifice is made for their sin, and God allows them to come back in communion with him. And so they would rejoice, verse 7 says. They rejoiced in the presence of the Lord on this mountain. They ate that meal, and they rejoiced that God had made a way back for them when they had been waywarding and departed from his law. So they're, they look at this mountain, they're reminded of the law they've committed to, and they're reminded that there's grace for them, a provision made by God for them to be restored to him. Moses down in uh, verse, uh, let's skip down to verse 11. He's got another symbol that he wants to enact for the people involving this mountain, this particular Mount Ebo. It says in verse 11, that day Moses charged the people saying, when you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Gerizim is another mountain, I'll show you the picture in just a minute, right next to Mount Ebal. Two twin peaks is what this is. He says, on Mount Gerizim, um, they will stand to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, six of the twelve tribes. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So Moses takes six tribes, he puts them on Mount um, Ebal the mountain of cursing. Here's the valley that we're talking about. Uh, Mount Ebal is the one we've been talking about. They built the altar up there. They built that wall memorial with all the scripture on it. But there's another mountain called Gerizim, and that's the mountain on this side. Six of the tribes would believe, and they would declare the blessings of God for obedience. On Mount Ebal, six of the tribes would believe, and they would declare the curses of God for disobedience. And the people... If you read in Joshua chapter 8, they actually fulfilled this and carried it out. The people are gathered in those two groups, and they're, they're shouting the blessings back and forth, or the priests may have been shouting them, and the people would say, Amen. Amen. After the curses, and likely after the blessings um, as well. They are in a place, the people were, that has been called the Valley of Decision. They're being asked to make a choice, just one. Will you choose to obey God or won't you? And this is the kind of language that they're hearing. Look over at chapter 28, starting in verses. Oh, here's an older picture. Um, this, is from the, this is a picture from the time of Moses. Some of you can think about that later on. Uh, this is an earlier picture just to give you a sense for what that valley uh, was. But in chapter 28, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord will, your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. You are going to have your socks blessed off, is what he's going to say. Your whole life is going to be fruitful and be blessed. Your business ventures, your family, everything. 
That's what they're hearing from Mount Gerizim. Now, from Mount Ebal, this is what they're hearing down in verse 15 of chapter 21. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. So this is the choice that's before God's people. Will we choose to obey God or not? And he is incentivizing their choice by saying, if you'll choose to obey God, these huge blessings come into your life. If you don't, then these curses, and we're going to talk about the curses next week. Um, you want to make sure you're here next week. Ben Merkel, a.k.a. Dr. Curse, is going to be here to teach the curses and how, what they mean for us. It's, it's really going to be excellent. So he'll be here to do that next week. We're going to focus on the incentive of blessing that's given to God's people to obey um, this week. It says, um, as we've already read in verses 1 through 6, um, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. It's like you're just going to be overrun with blessing. And then he catalogs them all, uh, as we just read. He expands on those in the verses that follow. He says, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you or in awe of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground, within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up, not down. Their enemies are going to be defeated. They're going to be trounced, really. They come after them. They send them running in seven ways. Their barns are going to be blessed. They'll be exalted among the nations. They're going to abound in prosperity in the fruit of their womb and their livestock and the fruit of the ground. He's going to bless them with rain. They're going to lend to the nations. They won't need to borrow. Um, they'll be the head, not the tail. Their stock is only going to go up, not down. Just huge blessings. They're going to be established as his holy people for all the nations to see. So the purpose of these blessings is that they would be put on a showcase for the nations to see them and see that they are the people of the Lord. So you get the idea. All of this blessing comes from the gracious hand of God if they choose to obey. It's conditioned if they choose to obey. These last verses, you know, everything's going to go up, not down, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today being careful to do them. 
And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left. And then he says, to go after other gods to serve them. So Moses is saying that disobedience is a kind of idolatry. You are worshiping, serving, and loving something more than the one true God when you disobey him. It's a a powerful thing. So what does this mean for us today? This this promise of a blessing for obedience. Um, If we obey God, will we have lots of kids and lots of cows and lots of corn? Is that what that means? That's what it says. Uh, maybe we could update it. Does it mean that our kids will go to Ivy League, co- League colleges on a full ride, that we'll have a house at the beach and a house at the mountains, that we'll eat out at the Angus barn when it's not our anniversary? Is that what it means? That is the idea. If you, are, if you skip church and stay home and watch TV on Sunday mornings, that's the idea, isn't it? That if you'll do what God asks you to do, you'll be healthy and you'll be wealthy. You'll pr- it's, it's this language. You'll prosper in abundance. Is that, does that correspond to us one-to-one today? That the, the problem with this prosperity theology or health and wealth gospel, it's called sometimes, is that they fail to recognize a couple of things, uh, more, more than a couple, but I'll underscore a couple that relate to us. First, we are not under the law in the same way that Moses' people were, right? We're not responsible to obey all 613 of the laws of Moses. Remember, throughout the New Testament, we've seen it. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He is the end of the law. So we are not under the law in the same sense that they did. We don't have to obey it. It was a law to govern the life of God's people in the promised land and put them on display for all the nations to see. Now, these blessings, as the law is the law of Moses' covenant for his people in the land, these blessings are the blessings that come with the covenant in the land. They are not the blessings for us today in the same sense that they were long ago. It's not that God never blesses us materially, or physically, or wealth-wise, he does often. You're enjoying it right now. The kindness and blessing of God upon us that we would sit in this room and worship God in the way we do, for sure. But when we talk about promised blessings of God for his people, when you look to the New Testament, they have a different feel about them. For instance, if you were going to look and figure out what it meant to be blessed in the life and ministry of Jesus and the church that came out of it, you'd probably go and look where Jesus said, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. He says it time and time again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He goes on and says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. 
for so they persecuted the prophets who were before. It has a different sound to it, doesn't it? It has a different focus. It's not as material. They tend to be more spiritual, we could say. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to convince you they tend to be larger. I think that the blessings that Jesus talked about in the New Testament, in the Beatitudes and what the other authors picked up later on, they are the fulfillment of what blessings in Deuteronomy 28 just pointed to. They are larger, more significant, more satisfying than the blessings that were offered in Deuteronomy 28. These blessings, they come to us now, not primarily through our own obedience. They come to us through the obedience of Christ on our behalf. So that's why Paul can say things like this. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's not as a result of our obedience, except the obedience of faith. It's a result of the obedience of Christ. That's the foundation for all the blessings that come to us now as God's people. Christ has obeyed fully the law. And so now the blessing of God can come even to us. But our, our experience of that blessing that Christ has purchased for us by his obedience on the cross, our experience of that is increased by our own obedience. One day, it's going to be absolutely full and perfect. But right now, we experience it by our obedience. The more we walk with Christ in humility, the more we experience the great blessing that's behind it all, and that's knowing God. We access and enjoy these blessings now in keeping with our obedience in Christ. As we hunger and thirst for righteousness, as we are merciful, as we keep our hearts pure, we increasingly taste and experience the blessings that Christ has purchased for us by his obedience. We see, know, commune with, walk with God as our obedience uh, allows us to. Now, another significant point to grasp about these blessings is that they are not to the exclusion of suffering. They often come to us through suffering. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn and those who are persecuted. Peter says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. And again, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. The blessing comes not to the exclusion of suffering for us, but it often comes through suffering. It is greater than our suffering. And the New Testament time and time urges us, it's worth the cost. Count the costs, but it's worth the cost. They represent, these blessings represent the favor of God on your life, the delight of God in you. Our loving obedience to a loving God causes Him to delight in us and to bless us with the ultimate blessing, communion with Himself. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says, for they shall see God. We get a foretaste of that now as we walk in obedient communion with Him. See, this is what I think 
we long for most. This is the greatest blessing to know and commune with God. It's what we were made for. It's what we were bought for. There's a guy, if you're a football fan, you may recognize his name from long ago. His name is Bill Glass. And he was an outstanding football player back in the NFL in the 60s. He was a four-time pro bowler. And he started a ministry that's now called Champions for Life. And they bring in professional athletes to um, juvenile prisons. The athletes speak to them about their faith. And then volunteers come in and follow up, build relationships with all the juvenile uh, offenders that are incarcerated there. And uh, they have a special uh, emphasis on um, the power of a father's blessing. He's actually written a book called Champions for Life, The Healing Power of a Father's Blessing. And it was an interview. Listen to what he says in the interview about all of this. He says, um, my earliest recollections are that my father would sit on my bedside and rub my back and tell me what a fine boy I was, and almost every night he would kiss me. He was a pro baseball player, a very manly man, but he had no problem expressing his love and blessing to me and to my brother and sister. My dad died when I was only 14 years old, and he had been sick about two years before he died. He said, I had a, had a huge hole in my heart. I felt despairing. My mother was very loving and warm, but it just wasn't the same as when my dad was there. And my coach was told that I had lost my father and that it really hit me hard. So every day after workout, He'd stay out with me, and he'd teach me how to play football. He would walk with me after workout to the dressing room with his arm around me. He'd ask me to sit beside him on the bus going out to the game, and he'd just talk to me. Then at noon, he'd meet with me, and we'd lift weights for about an hour. He says, I moved from being the slowest, smallest player on the team to, within a year, being unblockable because I had learned good fundamentals. He says, I didn't even like football then. The only reason I played was because I wanted a father's blessing. He says, a kid who is searching desperately for a blessing will put himself in all sorts of contortions in order to get it. He says, you see this in gangs. Kids get into gangs because they want to be accepted by a family. Most kids that get into gangs have no father relationship. So as a result, they go into the gang because the gang promises them that they're going to be part of a family. They do whatever the gang asks in order to get in because they want to be part of a family. He says, uh, I'll do whatever they want because I need to feel part of a family. Only a father can make a child feel that way. A mother by herself has a hard time ever doing that. He says, all those guys on death row now love their mothers. It's their fathers they've got a problem with. I wonder if we take his concept and we apply it to our heavenly father, I wonder if what we're chasing and all of our achievement, and all of our striving, and all of our acquisition, and all of our competition, if what we're really after is the blessing of our Father. C.S. Lewis says, it's not the books and the music that we listen to that matter. He said, they're just vehicles that convey something of value to you. He says, if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols breaking the hearts of their worshipers. They are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. I think the thing we are longing for most of all is the blessing of our Father on our life. 
his favor, his pleasure. I think that's the great blessing that the New Testament promises us for obedience. It's the pleasure of God on your life. It's the pleasure of pleasing God and what it means to walk with him in communion after that. That's what will satisfy. That's what will fulfill. That's what we were made for, for God himself to know him and to sense his pleasure on our life. That's the blessing that waits for us when in Christ we choose to obey God as an expression of our love for him. The pleasure, the delight, the knowledge of God. So every day, every single day it seems like, sometimes multiple times a day, you and I find ourselves on that route that runs between two mountains, between Gerizim and Ebal, between blessing and cursing. And we are faced with a choice. We face it virtually every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Will I choose to obey God or won't I? And so I promised you I'd ask you that question. And so... By now, God may very well have a very specific situation in, in front of you. You may already be thinking of something where you're standing in that valley of decision trying to decide, will I obey God in this matter or not? Will I do what he asks or won't I? Will I, will I persevere in that which he has asked me to do no matter how hard it is? For some of you, that's, that's you, a place you're in in your marriage right now. It's hard. And you'd as soon walk out as keep, keep persevering in what you're having to face every day. Um, you know, tonight at 6 o'clock, if you'll be so bold as to come back here, we'll pray for you. We will pray. God loves to pour out his mercy and his power when his people pray. And if you'll come back tonight, we'll pray for you for God's blessing on your obedience and on your life in your marriage. But it may not be about marriage. It may be about work. It may be about money. It may be about what you watch. Or it may be about your your relationship with your kids, or it may be something secret that nobody knows about except you and God. But you are in that valley. And you have faced it time and time again. Will you choose to obey God, or won't you? You know, it's interesting to me um, that uh, God chose to put that altar, right? that altar that contained the sacrifice that atoned for sin. He didn't put it on Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessing. He put it on Mount Ebal, the mountain of cursing. I think it's a symbol that when we get wayward, God has made a way back. That altar is a pointer, and the burnt offering on it is a pointer to Christ, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. It points us to Christ and His sufficient grace. If you've been disobedient, God has made a provision for your sin. He has made a way for you to be back. And that is Jesus' own obedience on the cross. So what I'd like to give you a chance to do today, if God is prompting you to obey, maybe a first step for you would be to come forward during this time of response and pray down here in front to make a, a commitment by God's favor to choose to obey in the matter that he has before you to throw your disobedience down at the cross and to choose by God's grace to obey. When you come down here, I don't have any magic bullets that I pass out that, that you, you take and then shazam, you're free. This is a first step 
in a long road of obedience. But it's the provision of God is in this room for you. And that's why if there's somebody in this room that you know and you trust, you ought to come down with them. Don't, don't come down alone today. You can if that's, your, if that's your place, if there's nobody in the service that you know and trust. But if your small group's here or there's someone in your family that's here and you feel like God is talking to you, um, you need to come down. Um, I was down here in first service with my wife. She's a mess. Okay, so I went and got my wife so she could pray for me. You all know how that works. Um, because, you know, obedience is every day for us. We, we walk that route every day. Will you choose to obey God or won't you? Moses stacked up all these blessings. It was just this giant incentive. And so choose to obey. Choose to obey. Let's pray. And then the team will lead us in a time of response. Lord, have mercy on us. We're good at disobeying. We swallow lies that tell us it will make us satisfied. It will give us hope. It will give us a way out. And you are our rescuer. You are our hope. You are our satisfaction. And that lies in our walking close to you in your ways in obedience. There's some in this room who are really on the horns of a dilemma. They really are in that valley today. And I pray your great mercy upon them now, that by the fullness of your spirit, you give them faith to say yes to you, no to their sin, and to welcome the offering on that altar that is Jesus on the cross for their sin. More than enough to atone, more than enough to reconcile. Lord, accept this worship now as our praise and these prayers as our commitment to walk in your ways with all our heart. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship. i